Hey there, welcome to XR Industry Leaders with ArborXR. My name is Brad Scoggin, and I am the CEO and one of three co-founders of ArborXR. We've had the opportunity of working with thousands of companies since 2016. And we've learned a ton about what it takes for XR to be successful in your organization. And I'm Will Stackable, co-founder and CMO. This podcast is all about interviewing the leaders who are on the ground making XR happen today. True pioneers in the space, from Amazon, Walmart, and UPS, to Coke, Pfizer, and beyond to uncover the pitfalls, lessons learned, and secrets that you can use to help grow XR in your organization. All right, well, today we are gonna take a bit of a, a deep dive into VR and education, and we get to sit down with the founder and CEO of Victory XR, uh, Steve Grubb. Steve, it's great to have you on the show today. Well. I'm excited because this show and the Joe Rogan show, those are my podcast life goals and <laughs> one of two down. Well, glad we could play a role in uh, your, you know, checking off a bucket list there. Yeah, uh, so, Steve, we always love to start with a little bit of, of the origin story. And, you know, obviously today you're doing a lot of really cool stuff. You're partnered with several of the major hardware companies to bring education, uh, bring, bring VR education to universities and high schools and K through 12. But you have a, a really interesting background. You started several companies. You've been involved in politics. So maybe just give us a little bit of your background and kind of what in that mix of uh, business and politics uh, politics led you into to VR and, and education. Yeah, so uh, my father was a uh, middle school, public school teacher. And here's a story I've never told before. Um, in, in eighth grade, I helped him uh, in shop class. I helped him build a little buzz box. So two students wouldn't come up. They'd ask a question. Whoever knew it first would buzz and that person would uh, answer. And if they got it right, they got a little mini candy bar. So um, that that was sort of my first time innovating in education. I actually had my father as a teacher. And so uh, that was pretty cool getting to use something that I built with him. So I've always had an interest in uh, education. Uh, when I was young, 24, I ran for the Iowa legislature. Uh, surprised a lot of people and won. Uh, wow. well, two years later, I uh, was named uh, chair of the House Education Committee and went to work trying to resolve issues in, in learning in Iowa. Um, and uh, there are a lot of them just like everywhere else. But um, sort of the, the high watermark for me was the passage of a bill that I wrote, which was the technology funding bill, provided funding mm -hmm. to every school in the state to connect to the internet, but build computer labs, that type of thing. Having said that, uh, it still didn't achieve the ultimate goal, which was to re really create a love of learning in students. And so that's where this conversation ultimately comes to. I love that. Tell me, what, like, what's the motivation for you? Why, why the desire to create a love of learning in students? Well, you know, I don't know why, because I was a policymaker for a number of years, but uh, I've just always had this, this, this thing that uh, overwhelms me of how do we solve these problems in society? And, and fundamentally, one of a very few things that really makes a big difference is education, learning. If students mm -hmm. succeed in school, then uh, they're going to, they're going to, it's going to solve a lot of problems with crime and employment and, and just good critical decision-making at a, at a national level. So, so that's very important to me. I was a high school debate coach. And so th these are things that I've invested time in. And, and I think what we have built at Victory XR really creates a love of learning, whether you're talking about history or literature or science, 
it's 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 all happening yeah you're so many of your especially the 360 tours uh, i could just tell there's a real passion for the history there and uh man you probably you've had the you've, you've had the privilege of traveling a lot as part of that i'm sure that's been fun yeah you know telling some of those stories stories that people don't even know about for example uh in june we told the story of william wilberforce very few people know the story of William Wilberforce, but really in the abolition of slavery globally, there is mm-hmm. no single person on the planet that was that contributed more to that than William Wilberforce. So his his story of persistence was worth telling. So we went to London and told that story. And uh, we've done the same thing with D-Day, uh, the, the Velvet Revolution in Prague, which most students have forgotten about. Um, the, the, the kings of Egypt and the queens of Egypt. So uh, it's, it's really something that I enjoy doing. And uh, I also know students enjoy it. Yeah, that's very, very cool. Well, t- tell us, so, you know, you've got this political background that was kind of focused on education, and then you started several companies. And then, you know, 2016, you jump into VR. At least that's what I understand. I mean, what was that transition like? Um, and I mean, you Victory XR has been around as long as almost any company in VR that has survived. <laughs> You've seen a lot. Like, tell us kind of about the origin of that, and then maybe bring us up to speed with wh- what you're doing and what you're focusing on specifically today. Yeah, one of the advantages that I had was that I had started other companies and had to bootstrap them. You know, how do you <laughs> how do you make payroll when when there's not enough money coming in? How do you make rent? All of those things. And and being an entrepreneur. Uh, there, there are certain key learnings that I had developed over the years of starting other companies, and um, I was able to bring those to the fore in this instance. So, you know, obviously, 2016 comes around. We think that virtual reality is going to, you know, bust out of the gates in a big way, and and it busts out of the gates in a slow way. It was more <laughs> of a turtle race than a rabbit race. So, um, so fine. Uh, part of succeeding is is a showing up and b lasting mm-hmm. and um a lot of people bailed out over the last seven years but mm-hmm. um i think our persistence has uh paid off and we are positioned now to to you know we're a global leader and we're positioned now to uh enjoy the the uplift in uh interest of it globally well, maybe just as we transition into talking, you know, specifically about some of your initiatives today, I mean, give us your elevator pitch on what is Victory XR today? What's the focus? What are you, what are you doing? Yeah. So we're the leader in providing multiplayer synchronous learning for science, history, literature, and some math. And, and what that means is that teachers can come into the space. They can teach a live class. Uh, for online students, this is the place where hands-on learning intersects with online learning, which is really important. So, so that's what we have. We've developed. We've got our own platforms. Uh, we have our own content, and so it's self-contained. And that's not that's pretty long for an elevator pitch, but uh, you know that's that's, a long that's what we've been able to uh, deliver. And, and it can be asynchronous, single user, single student as well. But um, teachers have the ability to choose which path they want. I love that. Actually, the the first part of that elevator pitch, I was thinking, I don't know if I could do it that succinctly with Harbor. Um, 
Can you give us a, a use case or a story that kind of illustrates everything you're doing in a nutshell? You know, I had, um, there is a lady in Kansas City who runs a program uh, for urban schools. And um, she called me one day and she said, could I use the forklift driving experience for my grandson? He's not a student. The license wasn't written for this, but but he's sort of struggling right now. And if I could do that, that would be great. So uh, she, you know, she gave him a pep talk. She gave him a headset. She gave him a license to the forklift driving experience. He had fun doing it. He learned everything he needed to do to pass his forklift certification. And then he passed it and got a job driving a forklift. And suddenly his life was completely different. And if you think about that, where do you get to go to drive a forklift to learn? You have to be hired first, and then they're going to let you use the forklift. Mm -hmm. This is the radical transformation. This mm -hmm. is the thing that delivers equality in facilities and opportunity is giving students access to, to things like welding or uh, forklifts or robotics or drones, or in the example of uh, some of our schools, chemistry labs and biology labs, giving them access to this, access to this in a dramatically affordable way mm -hmm. changes everything. And so that one isolated incident is just one of hundreds or thousands of students who have, have learned skills or knowledge that they would not have otherwise uh, had access to. Yeah, that's so good. We, you know, we talk a lot about since we started doing this show, we get to sit down with a lot of cool people doing cool things in, in VR. And I say it often, but it really feels to me that VR is enabling a learning revolution. And I mean, we're seeing, I think some stats say people learn four times faster and it's, it's the frontline worker at Walmart or it's the doctor. People retain 16 times more information. Uh, but one thing you just hit on, which I think is so important, we actually don't mention it that much, is just the accessibility of, of of education, of the best training and, and getting ahead of time. You know, we we've talked to uh, some groups that do nurse training and they said the exact same thing. I mean, you get to practice before you even start, uh, which I think is just so, so powerful. Uh, and that's a great, I love to hear the story of the one. Uh, well, also though, very curious and like, I mean, just your overall reach today, what you could talk, I mean, you're focusing on, is it K-12 and universities? Is it primarily high schools and universities? Like what, what does that look like? Yeah, so uh, early on, we were mostly K-12. Um, okay. And then in 2019, we built our first uh, higher ed uh, lab. And then uh, in 2020, uh, Morehouse College came on board. They were our first university because students were tired of learning in Zoom. So we built them a Metaversity campus, a digital mm -hmm. twin of their actual campus. And the students came on from wherever they were at home, you know, a library, whatever. And they joined their professor and other students on the Morehouse College campus, the digital twin version. And then they went to class and took chemistry and history and, and, and other courses. So I, I, before I talk about how many schools we're in, I, I just want to stop and t talk real quickly about the Morehouse College study. So Professor Ovell Hamilton teaches world history. He's a retired United States Navy officer. And uh, he taught the exact same world history course in a brick and mortar classroom mm -hmm. through an online 
platform like Zoom, and then on the VR Metaversity campus. At the end of those classes, they asked, they, they looked for three points of data. Number one, what was the student satisfaction level? How much did they appreciate it and like it? Second, mm-hmm. what were the grades that students got in each of those ways that it was delivered? And then third, uh, how, did, how was class attendance? How was engagement? Mm-hmm. On all three of those measures, the Metaversity class was head and shoulders above the other two. And why wouldn't you? You know, if you're teaching right. world history and you can hop into a time machine, yeah, pretty cool. Um, so, you know, students remember more, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, that was our very first school. Uh, a year later, we had two schools. Today, we have 107 colleges or universities around the world. And wow. we expect that to be in the range of 150 by the end of the year. And then by the end of uh, 2024, we expect that to be closer to 400. So, you know, we're seeing accelerating adoption and our products are getting better. So it, it seems seems great. And, and that's tens of that's about 10,000 students that have learned from uh, 90 different courses that were taught in the 22-23 academic year. That's awesome. Can you give me just like a window into I'm a student at Morehouse College or any of these universities that you're working with? Day one, do I get shipped a headset? I put it on and I'm in. Give me like 30 seconds on what's the experience for the end user. Yeah. Yeah. So if you think about University of Maryland Global Campus, if you're a residential campus, you might have a group of headsets. Students walk in, grab their headset, and they've got it for the course for the semester, whatever the case might be. But if you're UMGC, your students are all over the United States. So we've mm-hmm. worked with them to put together a program where we, you know, ship out the headsets, they come back in and, um, but, but, you know, the, the nice thing is, you know, just to date myself, I was <laughs> the very first student on my dorm floor at the University of Iowa that had a personal computer. The only oh, student. Wow. Yeah, that I, my, my future wife would come by and type her papers. So uh, <laughs> it was a it pretty good boy. Yes. Um, so um, I've seen how this adoption works. You know, all the rest of the students had to walk from our dorm to the computer center to get access to computers. Mm-hmm. People see somebody has a personal computer, they want one, they're not that expensive, et cetera. So about a little less than 10% of incoming freshmen have a VR headset and, and that mm-hmm. number is growing. And so as this rolls out as a, a way to learn, students will stop walking to the lab and they'll just pull their headset on from their dorm room or their apartment or wherever they might be. Um, and if you're, uh, if you are at one of the big online universities, like Purdue global, UMGC, Western governors, uh, Southern New Hampshire, et cetera, I think that what we're going to start seeing very soon are courses that are, you know, here's a course that's online. Here's a course that's VR. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. if you have a VR headset, are you willing to acquire one? Sign up for it. Interesting. Um, and, and I think that that when, you know, UMGC has 60,000 students, Western Governors has 130,000 students, um, that largely resolves the hardware issue because mm-hmm. those students who have them. So if, let's say it's let's say it's 10 percent of students for easy math when you're Western Governors with 130,000 students. That means that 13,000 of your students have headsets already. So why not? offer them some courses on a metaversity campus. It just mm-hmm. makes sense. And it makes your school or university more attractive. Yeah. 
That's very cool. Uh, so one question I always have, you know, we, we've been around almost as long, probably about the same uh, amount of time as your company. And early days, we did some pushes into education. And one of the biggest challenges for us, that we, what we've seen over time, was how the course augments the existing courses. And how, so talk to me about kind of, the, to me, that's the people component. You got to sell the university. You got to sell the professors. You got to make sure what the content you've created, is it augmenting the class they're taking? Is it fully NBR? I mean, tell us a little bit about that. So our approach to solve this problem was that we essentially train the professors to teach their course however they want it. We're, we are not, you know, we don't have to create new curriculum for every course in college because, you know, if there's probably a hundred thousand different pieces of curriculum in higher education across the right. United States around the world. So what we have to do is provide the facility. So if you, if you think of the analogy of, of an existing uh, atom based building, somebody provides that professor a building, they provide them the chemistry lab, they provide them the whiteboard, whatever they might have. And, and then the professor teaches whatever they want to teach. That's what we do. We provide them the Metaversity campus. Mm -hmm. We provide them over thousands and thousands of 3D objects. So no matter what they're teaching, we provide those objects. Uh, we provide simulators, all of these things. And that allows them to teach the way they want to teach. Is it, I mean, is it difficult to get the professor on board? I mean, it sounds like that's kind of a lift for them to, to redo their entire course in VR. What's that process like? So they don't have to redo anything all they So let's say that, um, for example, it's a history course. Let's go back to the example with Professor Hamilton. Mm -hmm. um, he would teach about the impact of railroads in Africa. So now he's just teaching the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. But now they're learning that on a freight train in Africa. Mm -hmm. When he teaches uh, World War II history about the South Pacific, he's showing videos from World War II. He's doing this and that. But the students are all sitting in chairs on a battleship floating in the South Pacific. Mm -hmm. So it. Uh, it, it, it's not a lot of extra lift on him. And that's why we do this professional development training. So they understand that you don't have to do a lot of extra work. You, you do have to figure some things out, but it's not a real heavy lift. A question we get sometimes, and this is just across the board, not even just in education, is is why VR? Like, why do you need VR if we have high quality simulations? You can even, you know, kids interact with 3D all the time just on a flat screen. What What's your answer to that for education when it comes to why VR matters, why it's why it's better? Yeah, I'm going to address that two two different ways. One from the K-12 angle. So in Chicago on the North Shore, if you don't know the North Shore, that's that's where the money is. Um, their taxpayers approved a very nice STEM center, you know, $10 million plus. Um, and so the kids on the North Shore, good for them, uh, have access to this really advanced STEM center. But what do we do about the kids on the south side of Chicago? I mean, do we just say, eh, you know, that's the breaks. You're born in the wrong place. This is the way you give them actual access to, to 3D labs, just like the kids on the North Shore. To say, oh, you can use this on a Chromebook or a PC and, and just sort of like click and push things around. That's not, that's not real learning. Real learning, you have to be able to use your hands. We know this from everything, whether it's 
from, from, from repairing a car to medical surgery. Nobody learns those things just clicking and pushing things on a screen. So, mm-hmm. so the hands-on piece is very important. Um, so, so that's at the, the K-12 level. In higher ed, that example also carries through, but also more important in higher ed these days is that 40% of students are taking at least one course online. Oh, and again, how do you learn chemistry <laughs> in a 2D world? You know, how do you mix beakers and, and, and do those sorts of experiments? How do you learn in a cadaver lab in a 2D world? You can't. You can, but it's not nearly as effective as students who get to learn in a 3D world. And, you know, a lot of times we're U.S. centric, but these sorts of facilities and labs are available in some places in the United States, but non-existent in many countries in the world. Mm -hmm. So as this rolls out, it's a dramatically uh, great paradigm shift in the way that learning is delivered. That makes sense. So in the, w- with the metaversity, you've got a chemistry professor that's now teaching their course in a VR environment. So you could the students can engage with that remotely, but also there are additional apps that they can engage with to see molecules or, or whatever. So it kind of it brings it both together. That's, yeah, that's cool. And think, the, uh, think about something as simple as literature. Sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. You know, part of the challenge of teaching is... You can teach all you want, but if students don't gain understanding, if the scales don't fall from their eyes, then, mm-hmm. then you haven't pushed the, the ball down the field. And so you think about To Kill a Mockingbird. You know, we rebuilt the courthouse. Uh, hmm. We will have the, the author of To Kill a Mockingbird sitting in there as a conversational AI so students can just ask her about mm-hmm. the book. Wow. Um, and they can go, th- they can learn what it was like to, to, be considered a second-class citizen and be forced to sit in the balcony mm-hmm. or sit below. But, but suddenly, literature has more meaning because students can experience it. And, and so that's a yeah. big part of our goal with education. That is very cool. Um, I, so I have a question about your early days in K-12, because that was an area we tried to push into early on as well. And it wasn't our core focus, but it just felt so challenging with, before there were standalone devices. Could you just tell us a little bit about, I mean, how, how did you crack into the K through 12 early on and kind of how that's evolved? Yeah, you know, everything in life is a bell curve. Thank goodness. <laughs> so, you know, if you think about the world of K-12 schools, you're going to have two thirds in the first standard deviation. And that's going to be, eh, it's interesting. Someday we'll pursue it. Mm. And on the good side, you have that second standard deviation where they're interested and, they, and they, uh, they, they're trying to figure it out. And then you have that third standard deviation. You know, they got the money, they have the know-how, they just need a vendor and they're going to make it happen. So what we had to do to succeed was to surface those in the third mm. standard deviation, the, the few bleeding edge people who said, yeah, we'll buy five computers and, and, you know, connected headsets, tethered headsets, and then we'll use your dissection and we'll use other products and we will, uh, we will, you know, jump into this. And, you know, some of it was done with grants, some of it was done with, you know, technology budgets, but we found enough to survive and we did a deal with Microsoft and that helped as well. And we won a big contest with HTC Vive. So we just kept cobbling it together in the early days. 
That's very cool. Tell us, so you mentioned HTC Vive. Tell us about some of your hardware partnerships today. I know you're working with several of the big players um, on some initiatives. So maybe share a little bit about that. Yeah, we're fortunate to have many of the world's largest tech companies uh, as partners. You know, with with Meta, you know, they've given us very significant grants to build metaversities around the United States, 30 of them to be exact. Uh, with, uh, With HTC Vive, we are the sole uh, content provider for their uh, school headsets. Uh, with uh, Pico, they are active with us distributing our business training bundle, uh, the, the forklift and fire extinguishers and defibrillator and OSHA warehouse. And then uh, Lenovo, um, they distribute on their Vive Flow, our global traveler app with uh, 130 global field trips for students. Beyond the device makers, though, we're also fortunate to have Qualcomm and T-Mobile, who fund a lot of the R&D. You know, they, they have an interest in seeing that uh, these devices with chips um, are, are out everywhere and they're accessing 5, 6G. So, so they, we work together to try to figure out these issues and how it might uh, deploy in the future. But we're, we're very fortunate. Let's dive in a little bit to some of the nitty gritty. I mean, you're talking about headsets and different device types and um what do you see are some of the current pain points to going to scale, either in the industry or specifically for schools that you work with? Yeah, um, you know, I was on with the school this morning, and they're trying to figure out how do we limit uh, students to just the educational uh, experiences that that you provide. And you know, they said, "Can you do that?" And I said, "Well, it's it's limited right now. You need to find a a partner like Arbor XR." Or you need to, um, you know, at some point Meta will, you know, have an enterprise platform that will, at least for their headset, um, you know, provide more tools for educators. But um, at, at the current time, you know, you've, you got to have a, a management platform like Arbor. So um, that's a pain point is helping them figure that out. Uh, but, you know, it's really not the cost of hardware because the cost of hardware is it, it's frankly, less than a Chromebook. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think that's it. I think really the big issue is understanding and and willingness Mm -hmm. to try something new. Um, And and there are enough friction points that that it's a challenge to get people to try something new because, A, they first have to have understanding of the dramatic impact it can have, but then second, they have to invest the time to, to figure it out and to, you know, stumble through it in the beginning. And, and people always expect like, oh, I'm just going to pop on a headset and it's like joining a Zoom meeting. I say, you know what? Remember when you learned to drive, you went through like six weeks of learning. Well, this isn't that hard, but you might have to spend six hours trying to learn how to maximize the, the hardware and the software. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's not six minutes. Mm-hmm. I want to double click on some of those conversations you've had with schools as there, we oftentimes see this with organizations where they get excited, they do a pilot early on, they are just doing kind of everything, hacking things together. It just doesn't matter. They're just trying to see if it works. And at some point it works, they get excited about it, and then they want to start building out and scaling out. And and that's where the people, processes, and technology start. The basic things like how are we going to get Wi-Fi set up on all these devices so beyond even, we can talk about device management, obviously that's important, something we're interested in, 
But what are some of the the main other what other pain points? If you kind of give us a landscape of when you talk to schools and they get excited and whether it's Morehouse or anybody else, what are the other issues they run into as they start to want to scale things up? Yeah, I mean, obviously, different schools have different issues. You know, sometimes it's a uh, it's a bandwidth issue. You know, they will need to segregate off a portion of their bandwidth for VR. Uh, sometimes it's a firewall issue. We run into firewall issues all the time, and that's uh, that's a lot of times we just say, you know, look, you need device management. Um, you know, beyond that. Sometimes they will have a, not very many students have problems in VR, but there are some students who do have uh, issues with virtual reality. And so, you know, we had to build our uh, web, uh, our VXR web platform so that students could access it through um, Chromebooks, PCs, or uh, MacBooks. Mm. So, you know, when you start a new company like I've done before, you don't, you can't always anticipate the roadblocks the friction points, but you, A, you need to have a workable solution at, at a basic level. And then as you run into these additional problems, you tackle them one by one. You figure out a solution, maybe a couple of solutions, and then you have to uh, commit it to writing uh, or commit it to a video like we do um, so that people will understand that uh, if you run into an issue, it's not the end of the road. It's just, mm-hmm. just uh, something you got to drive around. Something I've noticed with your team and just your progress over the years is that you've managed to come alongside schools and universities and other organizations at an early stage. I mean, you talked about early on, they're, they're plugging headsets in, there's cables, they're wheeling PCs from classroom to classroom. How much of an active role do you have to play even now in terms of really guiding, um, providing feedback, coaching, et cetera, uh, even support? to some of the schools and universities and other organizations you're working with? Yeah, you know, it's it's surprisingly little. Um, for the most part, schools these days, and especially universities, have, uh, you know, a whiz kid, IT guy, gal, <laughs> who, who, you know, they figure it out, they get it, they probably have a VR headset, and they know their firewalls. And, and so once we walk them through it, you know, that's the person that gets called, not us. Mm. So, so that's really helpful, you know, but occasionally people have a, an issue maybe with uh, the way we've developed the content or, uh, you know, maybe they don't have an IT person that can be helpful. So in those cases, you know, we're, we're on standby, we're ready, willing and able to help. But um, I've always planned on building a bigger customer support uh, base of employees to resolve these issues. And I'm sort of shocked at how little we actually get called. That's great. I love that. The, uh, you find your champion on site and then they kind of take it from there. Uh, you, you mentioned this briefly, uh, but I know you've got a couple new initiatives that you've either recently launched or are launching. One is the VXR Labs and then also uh, a new app, a global traveler app. Maybe share a little bit about both of those. Yeah, VXR Labs is really the most advanced 3D immersive learning platform in the world. And it is for three reasons. One, it's synchronous or asynchronous in nature, which there are other platforms like that, but, you know, very important. And second is we now have enabled uh, conversational AI avatars. So what that means, I'll give you an example uh, for a nursing student. Uh, A nursing student goes into the emergency room. 
Um, there's a patient who's complaining of chest pains. And we all know if they're complaining of chest pains, they may not have much time. So the nursing student can have a live, or the doctor student, can have a live two-way conversation with that patient. The, the patient's answers are not scripted. They're not pre-recorded. It's all driven by conversational AI. So we have put the information into that patient's head and, um, and that patient then um, replies with, you know, you can ask it, you know, what's your family history? Uh, what did you eat this day? What activities did you engage in? All the common questions that would be asked, that information is in their brain. Um, you know, things you could ask them what their favorite meals are, because that has already been uploaded to give them some personality as well. But, but also think about, we're just now rolling out uh, Thomas Edison's lab and George Washington Carver's labs. And um, so you can go in there and touch and feel and learn about the things they invented. But even more than that, you can walk over into the corner where Thomas Edison's sitting there and have a live conversation with Thomas Edison. You can ask him why he invented it. What were the challenges? All of these things, because we have uploaded into their brain everything they ever wrote. So all pers first person information and then a lot of additional information about them and the time period they lived in. So um, that that really changes the learning opportunities with that second component. Conversational AI avatars. Yeah. And we can also do We also have a teacher coming out that way. The third component of that are simulators. Very few platforms, almost none, uh, allow true simulators. So like we've all played Flight Simulator. Mm -hmm. Uploading Flight Simulator onto, you know, like alt space back in the day, it was not possible. Um, and so we have actual simulators so that nursing student can put an EKG on that patient suffering chest pain and then get a true readout and decide, is this person dying or do they just have indigestion? And that's um, that's really the power of it. We've got, you know, a welding machine and a drill and we have a, a, a drone and so many other simulators that are rolling out that just changes the ball game for learning. That's VXR Labs. Real I want to ask like, a follow up there yeah. if, if we can before we move on to the Traveler app. Um, the, the conversational AI, AI piece, obviously, that's a, it's a big topic. I've seen a number of simulations or demos on social and LinkedIn where people have tried to do this and there's challenges around just the lag time and, um, and also not having, you know, responses go off the wall or, you know, I'm imagining kids asking some question that they, you know, takes them into some territory that this teacher would not be happy with. How do you navigate? I mean, you don't have to get too technical, but, um, do you feel like at this point, is it a, is it at the prototype stage or is it, is it working well and response responding quickly and you're happy with it? Yeah. So, you know, the, the lag times are an issue that we've worked a lot on. And, and some of that depends on your internet connection as well. Right. But um, we've gotten the lag down, lag times down pretty short. So it's, wow. it's, I would say shorter. If you ever ask Google, like say, I got to be careful because if I do this, it'll actually start talking to me. But if you say <laughs> hey, Google, um, you know, you have a bit of a lag time. You say, hey, what's the temperature? What time of day is it? Whatever. Um, you have a little bit of thinking time for, for, you know, Google or Siri or whatever the case might be. Ours seems to be shorter than that. And, and so wow. there is this moment and, and we've actually thought about putting like, um, you know, people, you and I, we do this as well. We, we, we need a second or two seconds before we've got our answer formulated. So we go, 
Um, and then we answer. So we put that filler sound in there. And so we're sort of playing around with that, seeing if we can uh, clever. make that happen. But our engineers have solved a lot of problems. And so, you know, it's uh, we're, we're, we've rolled it out and rolling it out in a bigger way over the next uh, four weeks. That's awesome. I'm going to, we'll, we'll share a link on the show notes for that. I'm sure people will want to check that out. Every, everybody's thinking about, I, I, I have yet to try one that feels um, like it would be ready for real time. And I would love to get my hands on it. I should have done that before the show, but I will definitely do that after. You know what? I'll share a YouTube video with you that we haven't made public okay. yet, but yeah. make it yeah. on your show. Well, let's go to the Traveler app. I know that's something, um, even I was, I think I messaged your team a while back. Like, I, w- I want to get on some of these tours. Like, this is, this is, you guys have such a, like, do you have over 100 uh, travel experiences? Is that right? 130 and um, adding adding more all the time. So um, here's, here's the thing why this is important. How many students, and again, this is largely an income-based deal, but uh, if you come from a wealthy family, you probably get to travel to Europe and elsewhere. Uh, if you are from South Side of Chicago, you probably are not getting out of Illinois very often or Indiana. So um, what if we were able to give students the ability to travel the world and expand their horizons? You know, what, did, what does that do to the mindset of a student as they think about their future? Uh, we have 130 360 VR field trips that can be deployed to either a 3DOF headset um, if you don't know what that is, Google it, or a six-off headset. And, um, and, and that matters because uh, now a student can, for example, you know, we just, we just did uh, Luxor, Egypt, where the, the Valley of the Kings, mm. and we go down into uh, King Tut's tomb. That's pretty cool. Um, and, and how many of us have gotten to stand in King Tut's tomb? Well, I have for real, but now students all over the world can be down there themselves and, and see what it's like and, and not just like pictures of it or a 2D video. They can look up and see the ceiling. They can look down and see the floor. They can look all around and, and, um, and also learn about King Tut because we add a lot of other things to it. And I, I had an Egyptologist help us out with this from the University of Cairo. So we shot uh, wow. three field trips, uh, Luxor Temple, Karnak Temple, and the Avenue of the Sphinxes. And I'm just going to take 15 seconds more because this is cool. The Avenue of the Sphinxes is 1,300 Sphinxes that line a three-kilometer path between the Karnak Temple and the Luxor Temple. Nobody knew this existed 70 years ago. It had been buried under sand and a town had been built on top of it. For, I think it was 3,000 years it was gone. And then they discovered it and they began excavating they, they discovered it in 1949, began excavating a little bit in the 70s. And then about 15 years ago, they went all in and they uncovered. They had to move these stores and homes off the top of it. And they opened up this three kilometer walk. And so uh, for the first time in 3000 years, human beings were able to walk on it in November of 2021 are us living today, we get to walk along this. Now, maybe you're not going to go to Luxor, Egypt. Well, mm-hmm. you can either walk, you can walk in our VR version or our 360 field trip version. Either one, pretty cool. I almost get attacked by a dog. Um, <laughs> we leave that in the video. It's all very real. 
Well, that's incredible. I love that. And we also, I guess, found out, you know, the real secret here is that this whole thing is just a shell for you to get to travel to really cool places that nobody else gets to do. Listen, <laughs> somebody in the company had to do this, so I assigned it to myself. You suffered. You know, and I, you're not, not only getting was, to go to places like that, but you're able to be there. I'm guessing they let a film crew, they let you film in areas that most tourists don't ever get to go to, or at least don't yeah. get to go to and be the only person there. I've been, you know, we frequently have other people around just because we don't have time to always schedule, yeah. you know, these sorts of trips and we have limited budgets, but, um, yeah, I, I've been to places in locations that, that to be able to travel there, even if it's in a VR headset is still pretty cool. Well, if you ever need any device management along the way, I'd be happy to come along and assist with <laughs> <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll give you the arbor white glove experience uh this this has been really really good super insightful uh maybe as we move towards a wrap here i'd love to hear you know where you see this all going over the next i don't know 5 10 15 years well, what is what does education look like as vr matures yeah so i am 100% convinced that every college and university in the world will have immersive 3d learning whether it's AR, VR, mixed reality, whatever it's going to be at one level or another, you know, some will be going all in, there will be metaversity colleges and universities, but in some will just, you know, use it for a particular lab or maybe use the time machine. Right. Um, so that will happen over the next five years in higher education. And mm -hmm. so we're working hard to be ready to, to satisfy that demand in K-12. I think around the world we'll see, half of uh, middle schools and high schools employing some sort of, of uh, immersive 3D learning. And, um, you know, that's, that's a pretty sharp demand curve. And so there, there are a lot of VR companies out there, as you guys know, more than anybody else. Um, and so there are people that are ready to fill it. You know, we have our approach, others have their approach, but the bottom line is it's going to be a pretty uh, significant uh, increase. Yeah. It's exciting. And you do, yeah, you think about even just basic, uh, you know, lab functionality for, for a high school. The high school I went to, a small town, we didn't really have a lab. And so I, you can see that, that you don't, maybe the whole, your whole course is in, in VR, but some of the augment, augmentation would be super, super valuable. Um, well, Steve, I know you're busy. You've started four companies. You're focused on this one now, but we really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us uh and kind of share some of your insights so thanks for joining us today well i love uh working with arbor xr so i appreciate you having me on thanks Steve. Absolutely. well that was a lot of fun uh you know we we talk a lot about the learning revolution we get to sit down with a lot of these enterprise uh companies and it was neat to get to hear from someone who's on the front lines with traditional education and you you, you yeah you think about just how big that world is and how much potential there is for VR to grow and really be transformative. And I love, I love the accessibility piece. I think that's one thing we often don't hit on when we talk about the learning revolution. Yeah, I agree. And, and something stuck out to me as, as he was talking, just this sense that, man, Victory has been on this journey with us. We've been alongside them six years now. I know that some listening have been doing VR for longer, but for us, that feels like an eternity. And it does feel at some point that we all we all have just survived the twists and turns and the ups and downs and the the water is rising but slowly and i just think about man if we can just hang on there a little bit longer 
it does feel like a transformative technology that is making a real impact. And I loved how he kept bringing it back to the impact on the individual students and the ways mm -hmm. that it transforms their learning experience or opens up learning experiences that they don't have an opportunity to, to have otherwise. Um, whether that's a cadaver training or, or being able to sit down in a fully immersive chemistry lab and blow stuff up or whatever. Um, so to me, they, they have, I don't want to say they're a survivor. If they're a survivor, we're a survivor, but they've, they've managed to hang on there through the ups and downs and, uh, making a huge impact and excited to see what they come up with over the next few years. Yeah. We're, well, we're definitely survivors. Uh, but I, I do like how he, he positioned it. You got to show up and you have to persist. And if you do that, then you get to blow up stuff in the chemistry lab in VR, which is. Yeah. And uh, whether, whether you're in a company right now trying to build an XR program or whether you're in a startup and you're, you're just now getting going, I think now is a great time to be in VR, but also just that awareness that it may take a while still, you know, this is a very different technology. It's not like just going from a PC to a tablet that's still a flat screen. Um, it, you're still using, maybe you're arguably you're going from a keyboard and mouse to touching a screen, but an immersive environment with a totally different language and way of interacting, uh, yeah. with that world, it's, it's a, it's a stretch for a lot of people. So it's going to take time. You know, that, that's a really good point. And I think it is something for anyone who's just getting started or on the front edge of, of deploying XR in their organization, the, the mindset is super helpful. The, I mean, the, the right mindset and having a mindset that it's going to take some time. And I think one thing that's come up again and again on these interviews is that it's not necessarily the technology that's the friction point. It's the it's the people part. It's selling people on a new idea. It's it's showing the, the benefits of of, uh, of a new idea. And I think that's something that we get we all we all have gotten. Like he said, he thought you know 2016 it was going to go. So did we. We get excited about this new technology and just assume oh it's a no brainer. Uh, but there's a people component, and that's just that's that's life. So I think starting with the right mindset is very very helpful. Um, well, thank you as always for joining us. We appreciate you uh, spending a little time with us. Make sure you check us out wherever you listen to or watch your podcast and we will catch you next time.